Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where fear is just the first draft of your success story. Who's ready for some fearless editing? I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Well, Tuesday was Halloween, and I got a dozen messages or so asking me why I didn't do a Halloween-themed scary episode. And most of you are seasoned leaders, and you already know the basics, so there's no need to rehash the trick-or-treat playbook. So let's step it up a notch. How about that? Halloween isn't just for kids. I mean, some of you are telling me it's your favorite holiday. You know, it isn't mine, but I do think it is an ideal metaphor for scaling a business. As a leader, you're definitely the one navigating a house of haunted growth metrics and restless stakeholders, right? Well, a company that ventured into the dark unknown was Roku. Their fearless founder, Anthony Wood, didn't just merely survive the monster-filled landscape of tech giants. He did the unthinkable. He did what nobody else was doing. He brought data-driven decision-making into his world. No crystal ball, just cold, hard analytics. And they took on giants and grew to 70 million subscribers and 40% of the smart TV market. Roku is continuing to combine great first-party data, happy customers, and publishers to create a super-relevant ad network across devices. Brilliant use of data. But think about that, to go take on the giants of the space, the, the device manufacturers, the cable companies that are already out there. Streaming was relatively new when Roku came on the scene. Very, very forward-thinking and absolutely fearless. So what lessons can we learn from a gladiator like Anthony Wood and Roku? Well, I think the alchemy of fearless leadership comes down to three elements. First, we have precision carving. It's not just about whittling away at a niche. It's about becoming a Michelangelo of market demand, like a master craftsman. You you don't just chip away aimlessly. You know that each strike counts. And it's not enough just to understand the market. You have to anticipate it. You're kind of like a sculptor sees the final form in the raw block of marble. And, you know, that's your data. The master has a vision from the very start. Sometimes they talk about it as freeing the statue from the stone around it and have that same precise vision so that your marketing message emerges and comes to life for your ideal prospects. Second is what I'll call the connoisseur's cauldron. In the distillery of leadership, it's the matured notes that make all the difference. It's like an aged bourbon. You can taste the years of experience. Think of this as your analytics dashboard combined with the leather-bound wisdom of your mentors. Balance the two, and you'll find that magic potion for scaling, nuanced, powerful, and exceptionally tailored to your growth journey. Third, fear is fuel. Have you ever seen something that scared you and you felt that jolt of energy? 
I remember a few years ago staying at a cabin, super remote, deep in the woods, surrounded by mountains. There's lots of glass, beautiful views. Uh, no blinds or curtains or anything. I mean, nobody's out there but moose and bears, I suppose. And uh, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous place. And I got up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom and, you know, walking through. And, and I look and there is a face staring at me through the cabin window. Spooky. I mean, like bizarre. I mean, instant energy, immediately full, wide awake, fight or flight. I was freaking out and I'm super surprised to see someone out here in the middle of nowhere. And, and at the same time, this other person is also freaking out and just as surprised to see me. And then I realized that this other person is also wearing the exact same cowboy shirt that I'm wearing with a star on the front of it. And it's my reflection. Sometimes the things that we fear are not necessarily as scary, but it doesn't mean that that energy isn't there. That doesn't get the juices flowing. Harness that. Take all the fears, whether that be market volatility, interest rates, scaling woes, competition, my competitors got all sorts of funding, you know, whatever it is, convert those into action plans. So instead of midnight freakouts or creepy people staring back at you, let those moments be your 2 a.m. eureka moments. When you use fear as a stepping stone, not as a stumbling block, you turn your haunted house into a mansion of opportunity. So don't just navigate through the haunted house of business. Own it. Have those ghosts pay rent. And the monsters that live under the bed, uh-uh. They're going to do what you want them to do. It's your domain. Rule it wisely. If you could use a boost of courage, check out my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step -step frameworks and time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. You can get the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or Amazon. All book profits go to charity. And remember, this month, we're continuing to support the Israel Emergency Fund. And you can learn more about that in the show notes. There's a, a link there uh, that you can give. You can learn more about it and uh, buy the book. And all profits, again, go to that uh, through the end of the month. Well, our founder on Tuesday was SaaS legend Rand Fishkin, the Wizard of Moz, founder and CEO of Spark Toro. We talked about his journey to 100 million wins, losses, and building smarter. This time around, Rand is a super guy who shares the good, bad, and the ugly. I, I just I love what he's building at Spark Toro. And I grab a copy of his book also called Lost and Founder. And our expert last week was Alex Kaleo, who is the chief revenue officer at M4 Mobile Research. We talked about understanding consumer behavior and then bridging that gap between what buyers say and what they actually do. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Mike Porter, a go-to guru in customer communications and marketing strategies who cut his teeth at Xerox and Bell and & Howell before launching his own consultancy. With a pen as mighty as his industry insight, he has been creating engaging content, marketing strategies, and decoding postal puzzles and trend spotting in the trenches since 2010, making him the ally your business didn't know it was missing but won't want to lose. Welcome a guy who will help you write less and convert more, Mike 
reporter. Hey, Mike, welcome to SAS Fuel. Hi, Jeff. Nice to be with you. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started in customer communications? I've, uh, I've actually been in that business uh, for a long time. I, I worked in the uh, service bureau business where we did lots of communications for other companies uh, for a long time. I did that. I worked for some some well-known uh, brands that are in that that business like Xerox and Bell and & Howell. And, and then uh, I've been doing some independent consulting and then started working on content marketing about 10 or 12 years ago uh, and providing some services first for myself and then and then for other companies that uh, that seem to have a need to use content to kind of get in front of their customers and stay top of mind. I love that. Content is one of those things that's that's really hard to do consistently. Do you see that as well? Yeah, and that's the number one uh, problem that people have. Matter of fact, whenever I'm uh, uh, researching a, a prospective new client, one of the things I'll do is go and look at their website and kind of see what they've published in the past. And it's it's amazing how many times I will see instances where uh, they'll have a blog post that'll be a monthly uh, occurrence for uh, for some time, and then it'll start to tail off, and it'll be oh they missed a month, and then oh they missed two months, and then it was six months, and then it was stopped altogether, and and uh, that just happens over and over again, uh, pretty consistently, uh, which is good for me because it shows me that you know they have an interest in doing that but they just can't keep it up on their own and and that happens especially with the small to medium sized businesses that I work with they just don't have the the excess capacity to to keep up on that content generation and and publication other things that have higher priority get in the way and you know and and writing content goes to the bottom of the list yeah yeah that's really easy to do so what are the secrets to, to being consistent? What, what have you seen that has worked so that it doesn't happen that way? Because it's so common where you do really good, yeah. have great intentions, and, and just execution is, is hard. <laughs> I'm glad you said great intentions because everyone that I've worked with, uh, uh, you know, has this ideal. They didn't they didn't go into it with the the, the thought that they they wouldn't be able to to perform, but uh, right. but they have that issue anyway. But one of the thing that I have found that works uh, the best is is making sure that you have a well thought out plan. Uh, I put together editorial calendars for uh, for each of my clients. They're all different. They all have different topics that we cover and different formats of content that we create, but but every one of them has a year-long plan that we have scoped out Gee, what kind of content do we need? Where are the gaps in what you have now? What are the audiences we're trying to attract? Where are the, the topics we're going to cover? And, and we have that all laid out in advance. Part of the problem in creating content consistently is sitting in front of that blank screen and wondering what in the world you're going to, to write about that you haven't written about before. Uh, and, uh, and having that, that content plan in advance really helps with, with that. That's what I found is to be just a key. Once I started doing that, then things really started to come together for my clients. That's really smart in, in doing that because it's when you're staring at a, a just a, a blank screen, 
you know, what do I write about? What do I, what do I do? What's my topic? But at least, you know, when you have that content plan, you have something to help jumpstart the, you know, get the, the brain going. And so you can right. at least get something started. You have a concept to work with, which is, is really important. The other thing that it does is it, it forces you to think a little more strategically. If, if you're sitting down there on the 29th of the month and going, it's, uh, you know, I've got to get this blog post written by tomorrow. Uh, you have a tendency to, to maybe zero in on only one aspect of your business. Maybe it's always for brand awareness. Or maybe you you concentrate on one product line and ignore some of the others, or a uh, or a certain market segment. And by putting together a plan and thinking as an entire uh, uh, strategy that it encompasses an entire year, then you have the ability to to look at that and say, oh, well, we need some content for this, we need some content for that, and then you don't end up kind of. Uh, focusing on just that one easy topic that you always fall back to. Right. Right. And and covering them in unique ways as well. So it's not that same topic, just beat to death or you have the, the, the exact same post reworded a little bit over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What role does brand awareness play in, you know, how does that fit into thought leadership? Where, what's the balance look like? They do intersect. Um, for sure. Um, we use, because we create uh, content for our customers, then we also help them promote it through uh, social media and drive traffic to that content on their websites. Uh, and and in especially in that realm, those posts kind of do dual purpose. Number one, uh, you know, it pops up in people's uh, news feeds. So they're, they're there you know, on a consistent basis. So the brand is there in front of them. We always make sure that those, those posts are branded and, and consistent and, and um, recognizable. But it also is an opportunity then to, uh, to show that you know what's going on in that industry that you're serving or the challenges that are being um, addressed by your clients. And uh, the post can can do that, uh, send people to that content where it's either a, a blog post or maybe a white paper or an ebook, customer case studies, all those kinds of things kind of contribute to that, uh, showing the, the marketplace that, that, you know, you're active, you're aware of what's going on in the industry, and you have some knowledge that they can benefit from uh, accessing, uh, you know, when they need it. In your experience, what separates the companies that excel in customer communications, in content, and those that struggle? Is there like a mindset or approach that, that sets apart the ones that do really well? The ones that that seem to succeed are those that uh, that don't consider that process as a gotta do kind of a task, ah. uh, you know, rather than a you know, a strategic part of of how they market and promote their their companies. The folks that are take more of a passive uh, approach to that, and and I'm, some of my clients are like that. Um, they, they just are not as, uh, as forward thinking. And so they still get the benefit 
you know, they're, they're still getting brand awareness. They're still, you know, developing that thought leadership reputation. Um, and because we're creating content that they're putting on their websites, they've got material there for lead nurturing and helping people move along in the sales cycle. But they may not be taking that next step, which may be things like taking a, uh, a white paper and uh, and making some uh, presentations out of it, making sure that the sales force knows that those are there and suggesting ways that they can use that content to to help to um, further communications and conversations that they're having with uh, with their prospects, either on the phone or or online or or in person, um, or taking maybe a customer case study and inviting that customer to co-present with them at a you know, at a uh, in an event or or holding an open house. You know, there's all kinds of things depending on the kind of business that you're in that you could do with that sort of thing. But it takes some initiative on on their side to do that. And, and the people that are doing that, I think, are getting the the most benefit from that. Um, I can't do everything for them. They have to kind of take the reins in some cases and 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 figure out ways to use that that content that, that we've provided for them uh, in the, the ways that, you know, will benefit them the most. I think that's, that's really smart. It's, it's not just throw it over the fence and, and make content, but really thinking about how do I use that in my business? Because they're in the perfect place to really understand where that's going to be most effective or how else they can use it. So it's not just creating a bunch more stuff, but it's using what you yeah. have in, in unique ways. And measurement too. Right. Ooh, that's uh, good. We yeah. don't always see the, the results um, uh, because uh, we do get reports from from our clients um, occasionally, you know, where they'll say, oh, my gosh, you know, we had great response to this newsletter that we did, uh, you know, or we got, you know, three great leads off of this and things. And those are great things to hear. But we don't we don't we're not able to measure that on a consistent basis because those those communications that happen outside of what we're doing for them uh you know through their sales force or by cold calls that that just come into the office uh we we don't have any any uh, uh visibility on that so they've got the the opportunity to show uh, themselves, you know, what's working and what's not. And then they can, they can come back to us during our planning sessions that we have on, with, with, on a repetitive basis to say, Hey, you know what? This worked really well. This didn't work really well. Let's change our strategy a little bit. Um, so that we can capitalize on those things that are seem to be hitting, uh, hitting the nerves on our, our customer base. And you've been doing this for a, a long time, newsletters, print and mail, postcards, all the way through electronic communication, social, uh, and video. So how have you seen that change over the years? And how have you seen you know, the trends in what's working or what's not working or what you know people say doesn't work but really does? I can recall back in uh, in my service bureau days, we had a product where we we managed customer sales follow up for car dealers, and part of what we did was newsletters for them. Uh, this was before the internet, right? <laughs> Goes back that far. The way we did that was through overnight delivery of proofs. We would write 
you know, content and send them to the dealerships and they would send us back like their deals of the month and their service specials and, and edits and things like that. And that's how we perform things. So just the mechanics of how you do it has, you know, advanced tremendously things that we can do things we're doing right now, you know, couldn't have been been done uh, in in those days. So so we've got that. But the other thing I think is that's interesting that some of the things that that worked back when we didn't have as many choices, like direct mail, are still working. And matter of fact, they've kind of uh, had a resurgence in uh, in effectiveness. The 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 response rates on on direct mail keeps going up. Uh, for two reasons, I think. One is that uh, customers are just uh, swamped by all the electronic messaging that they're getting. Uh-huh. You know, there's a couple of hundred emails a day that you're getting and text messages and other things that are coming your way and social media. Uh, so when mail shows up in the, the postal mailbox, it, it has an impact. People actually notice it. Um, so that's one. And then two, uh, the both the the uh, ability to target people better, personalize that content to uh, to uh, create one of a kind types of targeted communications for those folks are making the messages uh, more effective. So we can do the same thing in in postal mail there now that you can do in in email, for instance, where you might change the offer or uh, or the size of the discount that you're offering or the product line that you're promoting, depending on the characteristics of the individual that you're uh, targeting. So those kinds of things uh, have had an effect on uh, on the mail as well and have made those kinds of communications uh, more effective than they were back in the days when mail was pretty much the only game in town. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard that over the years, you know, mail is dead, email is dead, and and but they're not. And and I think you oh. bring up a really good point in that you know, you, you can cut through the noise. You know, mailboxes are not nearly as full as our inboxes for email, for sure. And to be able to to stand out, but I like that the idea of marrying the two, technology and uh, physical so like yep. you're saying it's it's personalization and you can have like a specific QR code there that takes them to a personalized landing page. And so now you've really bridged that gap between physical and digital in a way that's very personal. I think of direct mail is, uh, as an on-ramp and an off-ramp. It's an on-ramp uh, when you use direct mail, as you just described, where maybe a, a customer gets a, a postcard with a QR code or a personal URL, uh, and they go to, uh, to the internet to continue that conversation, to access additional content and to, to, uh, establish, you know, more connections. Um, and, but it can also be an off-ramp where, uh, you maybe have uh, some email communications that are going out and a customer maybe has stopped opening your emails. You know, is that because they're, they're swamped with, with emails? Probably have they changed their email address and it's, it's abandoned and not even using that anymore? That's a possibility. You can then take those kinds of things. And, and if you're monitoring your open rates, like through your CRM, you can trigger a direct mail piece to go out to those people 
send it to their postal address, which even if they've moved, uh, we can find the new address, which yeah. you can't do with email, uh, you know, and then reestablish that connection. So, uh, so it, it serves a purpose that is in very much in, you know, in compliance and in conjunction with what you can do electronically. It's not either or, it's both. And it's, it's you have to understand what the role is, uh, which has changed from back in the 1980s. Sure, sure. Like that lead acquisition, the on-ramp. And that's a, a hot topic for a lot of our listeners is uh, lead acquisition nurturing. What are some key strategies yep. you recommend to your clients to do that and do that well with content, whether that's physical, digital, or both? Um, from a content standpoint, we want to make sure that whatever topics that we're covering are important to the audience. And I, I know that sounds simple, but it's easy to lose track of that and kind of focus on yeah. the things that you want to talk about, right? And and customers don't care about that. They care about what's important to them. So my number one piece of advice there is to make sure that you, that you understand what, uh, what what customers are after. You know, what are their pain points? What are those challenges that they have in their businesses that they're trying to solve that you can have a solution to and, and make sure that, that as you're creating content that you're addressing those things. And those may be different about, you know, markets. If you serve the, I don't know, the, the telecommunications industry and then you also serve healthcare where well, those people have two distinctly different uh, points of view about privacy and, and, uh, you know, and health information versus, you know, your cell phone records, uh, you know, what you can do with that kind of information and how you might service them in a different way. So make sure you're understanding that audience and, and targeting that, that content so that it meets those demands of that particular audience, uh, I think are really important and that that'll help you be successful. What's your take on having content that's gated versus just, you know, go free download, you know, don't give me any information about yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you have to have both. I, I think, um, uh, I'm not opposed to being entirely ungated. Um, but if lead acquisition is your goal, then, then that's not, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you've got to find some way to be able to connect with those people. And yes, technology is getting to the point where we might be able to do that kind of in the background. But what I like to see is, is plenty of free, um, valuable, useful content. And that might be things like your your blog or your newsletter or uh or some case studies on your uh, on your website but also to have some gated content where people have to cough up their their contact information to get something that has some value to them and those are usually longer pieces like uh like like um, uh, white papers or ebooks um, things like that. So, uh, I'm not worried about, about giving away the store. Um, some people, especially people that are like consultants are worried about those kinds of things. Um, doesn't bother me a bit. I, I think that if, uh, if someone is consuming your free content and it's great stuff, they're, the thought that's in their mind is, gee, if my, the free stuff is so good, what about the things I have to pay for? That must be fantastic. Right. So, uh, so it's okay 
to put free content on your website and let people come and get familiar with that, especially if what you sell has a very long sales cycle. A lot of my customers, you know, they it takes a year or more to to sell a product. You know, they go through several iterations and talking to different groups, and and often it's there's a triggering event that can happen at any time that it actually makes turns people into like somebody that's just kind of interested to somebody that needs to buy. And so by continuing to provide that informational content, whether it's in your blogs or your newsletters or social media or however you're doing that, that allows you to stay top of mind so that when those triggering events happen, then you make it onto that short list of folks that they want to investigate further. And then they can go and take a look at some of your your uh, media content, like your uh, case studies and white papers and ebooks and things like that. When you lay out a year of content, I love the content roadmap and thinking about that, having that calendar. How do you balance like education versus lead gen? It can't all be one or the other. Is that right? Or yeah, am I wrong in that? We tend to lean heavily on on information and education, and it depends. If uh, if you're publishing this on your own blog, if it's in your own newsletter, obviously you can be a lot more promotional along those lines. And we always put things in there. We have uh, links to product information pages, or uh, you know, or uh, other uh, pages. Most of my clients don't sell over the internet, so they don't have like like uh, uh, a a store uh, front to to connect to. But uh, but we'll include you know references to those other things that um, that are more promotional uh, on their site. Um, but those are usually dedicated to a paragraph or two. If you're publishing in a, uh, a publication like a, a trade magazine that's dedicated to uh, the audience that you're trying to attract, well, if it's editorial content, then you're probably not going to be able to put any promotional uh, uh, ah. kinds of language in there. So what we do there is we we create a, um, a summary that goes at the end of the article, kind of an attribution article. It gives you a little background about the author, and then we'll put in links and, and, a, and a very low-key uh, promotional message about what that company does and the, the value that they bring to their customers. So you can do both. Um, uh, but But we tend to uh, because most of our customers, again, have those long sales cycles and they're trying to nurture leads and stay top of mind. We try to make sure that that's uh, loaded with informational content because they're not going to keep reading your newsletter if it's a sales pitch every month. They're going to read it only if they're getting something out of the content that you're delivering to them. And that's the informational content. What are some creative and effective ways that businesses can personalize customer communications and their content to create? Something that, that's more meaningful and engaging for their audience. Everybody has a CRM, or they should, yeah. uh, in, in some form. Um, so if you are uh, collecting information there in your CRM, any uh, content creation uh, software that you use probably has the ability today to, uh, to include that. Now, that may be something that is really obvious, like including, uh, you know, someone's 
birthday or anniversary or something like that. Um, and it's very explicit, uh, their home address or, or something that they purchased from you in the past and mentioning that product. Or it could be, uh, a little, uh, little more, um, behind the scenes where you use that to actually uh, guide the message that you're sending or the, the offer that you're providing in, in order to, to have that more relevant to them. So if, if someone bought a lawnmower from you, then maybe, uh, maybe you're going to promote, uh, string trimmers or something, uh, to them. You don't have to say, Hey, I know you bought a lawnmower last August. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to do that at all, but you just know that that's something that they're interested in. They, they have a lawn, so they're, maybe they're interested in trimmers. Um, if the person bought a, uh, a hedge trimmer, you know, or a leaf blower, maybe you're trying to sell them a, uh, you know, a pruning saw or something. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can do depending on what information you have in your CRM and pretty much any document composition, whether it is in print or it is in electronics, now will have that capability to use that variable data to uh, to either um, explicitly include information in there or use that to if this, then that kind of a decision about what that content is going to be in that individual piece. That's really, really good. I like the just the the connection there. So not just you know explicitly saying, "Hey, I know you bought a lawnmower," but uh, you know really understanding what is their logical next step. That you know something about them, and so what's the next step in their buying process? What might they need to know? What might be the, what might they be interested in next in taking them down that yeah. that buying path? That also helps with uh, uh, triggered communications, which are hugely uh, effective, right? It's not only the right message to the right person, it's at the right time. Um, I, I recall a story someone told me about a, uh, a company that this was in Florida and they built those enclosures that go around the, the swimming pools to keep sure. the critters out, right? Lanai. And uh, yeah, exactly. And they, uh, the, uh, uh, the gentleman that was telling me the story, he said, he said, I got this postcard from this guy saying, you know, uh, you know, it may be time to replace your, you know, your enclosure. And he said, I went out and looked and yeah, there was some holes in there and stuff. And he asked the guy when he came around, how did you know? And he goes, well, this neighborhood was built up about seven years ago and those things last about seven years. So, that's really, so really smart. That, you know, but that's the whole idea is that you have some, some insight into uh, uh, when it would be the best time to to make that pitch to somebody, you know, maybe it is when their warranty is about to expire on a product that they bought from you, or uh, or their subscription is uh, is nearing the end of its lifespan. Um, uh, ages, uh, you know, and I mean the people that that send you uh, all the information about uh, Medicare when you're turning 65 know all right. about that kind of thing. So there's all <laughs> kinds of triggers you can use to to not only to generate the relevance of the content and the offers and those kinds of things, but also as to when those are actually received, that communication uh, extremely useful, whether that happens in, in uh, the physical world or in the digital world, it works either way. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of data out there 
uh, whether it's data we collected ourselves or whether it's data that is accessible, even intent-based data. So I think that's right. really interesting. What do you think about you know using that? I mean, certainly for for the right time. But what do you think about using tools for personalization and uh, you know particularly AI? There's a lot of things that we can do now. You know, when does it become not authentic to the brand? Or are there times where you can get away with it? Are there times where you shouldn't do it? I, I think uh, I think you have to keep subtlety in mind. Um, uh, I, I think that it gets you know creepy if uh if you go too far and be too explicit uh you know we talked about implicit and explicit personalization there um uh that you have to be careful about that even though we you're right we have this vast amount of data that we can either collect ourselves or get from other people or we can monitor uh that you know that help us to develop this this profile of people i think as long as you you execute along those lines, you're just fine. Um, you know, that you know that, oh, people of this age range and this income range and live in single family houses, you know, are more likely to be interested in whatever it is you're selling, estate planning or, you know, whatever it is. Then you can use that information to your, to your benefit. And I would say whatever you've got that is relevant to the audience that you're trying to attract is, is uh is fair game and the tools uh are just going to keep getting better i think uh that uh they allow you to do that um but just monitor that and don't let it go too far afield so that you're suddenly looking like like a stalker instead of a marketer <laughs> yeah that's kind of an important distinction maybe a fine line in there <laughs> stalker versus marketer <laughs> yeah th- those may be the same in some cases yeah, we sure. don't want to get over that, that stalker world. You know, content, you know, consistency, we talked about that at the, at the beginning. What are some other content mistakes that you've seen companies make and, and how do you fix them? Yeah, we've touched on a lot of those already. Uh, but the way that you uh, that you approach it, and I talked about this, I think one of your first questions was about this, is that, that uh, if you have assigned the the responsibility for creating content to a person in your organization. Um, and that person moves on either their job responsibilities have changed. Mm. Uh, you've given them other things to do, or they've left the organization. Then what's really important is to replace them. Oh, somehow, uh, because, Otherwise, you end up with that scenario that I described where your blog posts that they used to be once a month are now every three months or, you know, uh, when you get around to it. Um, I, I remember researching one company where they had three issues of their newsletter online and each one of them said, welcome to the first issue of our newsletter. So, <laughs> you know, it, and that's a symptom Oops. of not having... Uh, you know, the, the, the resources or having resources at one time and not following through and making sure that you continue to do that. So I'd say that's in addition to those other things that we've talked about. I think that's really important is make sure that you've, you've got the resources, whether it's somebody like me that is outside of the company and does this, uh, for you, or you've got some dedicated resources in-house that have that as a responsibility and you give them the time in order to, to accomplish that. Then, uh, then those are really important. 
But AI has been all over the news in the last six months and, and continues to, to iterate and get better and better. How do you see that affecting content creation going forward, whether it's generative AI or you know something that, that does it essentially all on its own? I've got most experience with the generative AI. Um, you're right, it is uh, hugely better. I remember looking at this like two years ago and it was awful. I mean, yes. it was it, it was not worth the time. It was took longer to fix what it tried to do than it would have been to write it yourself to begin with. Right. But today's versions uh, are a tool and and a worthwhile tool, in, in my opinion. You have to be careful with it. We all know the stories about hallucinations and making things right. up, which happens. Uh, it, it's also what I've noticed is it's depending on the topic. I mean, I write, I create in a very, you know, narrow range of topics, right? Uh, there's probably not a lot of content that the AI was trained on um, in that particular uh, niche. And so it has a tendency when we try to use it for that of being very general. So it'll say the same thing in an article four different times, but it never, you end up reading that article and saying, you know what, I didn't learn anything. It just kind of parroted back my prompt and and there's really nothing of substance there so it's yeah. a good way to get ideas uh you know it's another way i have a, a, a presentation on my linkedin profile about what to do when you don't know what to write and i've got a lot of ideas i'm going to add ai to that uh because that didn't exist when i created that content but uh but it's a great way then to kind of figure out what it is you're going to cover, and to get you started. Um, it, you just can't cut and paste and check it off your list and go, that sure is done for the month. I don't have to do it. And and look, all I had to do is write a prompt and, and copy and paste because uh, the writings, even though it's better and it sounds good, it's it's usually not really good writing. There's a lot of like passive verbs and and right. using ten dollar words when you know something simpler would would suffice and and uh, a lot of repetition there so uh, by but by using that as a as a starting point you can kind of get over that roadblock and maybe if you're doing the content marketing on your own you're creating your own content then maybe that's a way for you to avoid those those uh, uh stumbling blocks and those those uh, hurdles that we described where you just can't keep it up on a consistent basis. That's really good. And we'll make sure and link to that article of what to write when you don't know what to write. Where can people learn more about you online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got the uh, posts there all the time. Uh, good if they happen too. to be, yes, exactly. We, uh, if we're, you happen to be in the, the customer communications business, uh, at all related to that, I write for, uh, a magazine called Mailing Systems Technology. I have a column there. I've been running there for over 10 years. have lots of uh, information there. My website for uh, for the content marketing is pmccontentservices.com. That's Paul, Mike, Charlie, contentservices.com. And there we've got some free resources that people might find useful. And these apply to companies regardless of the industry you're in. If you're in B2B marketing, uh, th these kind of things will work. It, it, don't worry about it being uh, 
oriented only to the printing and mailing industry because it's not. Uh, we've got a mini course there for how to create and use customer case studies. It goes through all the steps, the things that I do in order to do that for my clients. Uh, and you'll also find a, a playbook there for companies that have small budgets, but big competitors, and they want to use content marketing. There's lots of tips and hints and links and ideas in there about how to level the playing field and use content marketing to compete against those larger organizations that are in your industry and, and have a bigger budget. So those kinds of things are free. They're on the website, easy to find. And, and, uh, uh, I'd be happy to chat with anybody that has ideas they want to bounce around. I take all those calls. Outstanding. We'll make sure and link all of that. And that, yeah, especially the, the articles that you mentioned, really, really great resources there. Really appreciate that. But thanks for being yeah. on the show today, Mike. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Mike at pmccontentservices.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. And watch episode shorts and lots more content on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast, follow us, and share it with a friend. They will thank you for your generosity and genius. You know, you're going to tell them something that they didn't know, and they're going to be like, that's so cool. You're really smart. Well, everyone who subscribes this week gets the content calendar of forbidden topics. 12-month guide that tells you exactly what you shouldn't post about to keep your engagement rates from plummeting. Bonus, it's delivered in a chainmail envelope for that extra medieval touch. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is Greg Rich, a tech CEO whose entrepreneurial roots were not watered by Silicon Valley, but by family business and a stellar help desk. He is a rare blend of customer service fanatic and tech savvy leader who has turned experiences into empires. And then next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Arnab Misra, COO of Exactly. We explore maximizing team performance alignment and wrap up with the unicorn fallacy. You will love this episode. I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!